The, the biggest Sunday of the year, isn't it? It's a huge Sunday. If you're, if you're in the church, it's, it's a big Sunday, and it should be a big Sunday. Easter is the biggest thing of the year for Christians. This is the day that Christ, that Christ rose from the dead. He beat sin. It's a huge, awesome day. And on that day before he, he gave his life, on that day while he was, he was suffering through, there, that is a day like no other day in the history of the world. That day, there was things that Jesus said and did and spoke that have been, been, been resounding and working through history. And this morning and the next few weeks, we're going to focus in on some things he said and some things he did on that fateful day that truly changed everything. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I pray as we open our words today, God, you would reveal it to us and speak to us, Lord, and challenge us today. Lord, minister in us like only you can. I pray this in your strong and holy name. Amen. Open your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to start today at verse 37. Again, Matthew 27, verse 37. And this is a a well-known scripture. We've heard it a lot of times, but I want to read it again because there's really good stuff here. Uh, Starting in verse 37, it says this. Above his head, which is, of course, Jesus, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, this would have been some sort of written plaque or a sign. It would have been above his head. It would have said, this is the king of the Jews. Now imagine for a minute you've never read the story in your life before. You have grown up on some island in the middle of the Pacific, and you were probably pretty warm and pretty tan at that point, but you have never heard this message in your entire life. And also you have this Bible given to you, and you begin to read this account, and you read what happened here, and I'll tell you what might, what might possibly happen. You might be a little bit surprised. Because what comes after this word, these words here, is a description of what happened to Jesus that doesn't seem to make sense. How Jesus died, how he was crucified, this was reserved for the vilest of vile criminals. I mean, you had to do something terrible. Be a Packers fan. No, I'm just kidding. You had to do something terrible for this to happen. It had to be awful for you to die like this. And yet here we find this, and here we see this is his charge. Not that he killed somebody, or he stole a bunch of money, or he did this or did that. His written charge was he was king of the Jews. And now here he is, he's, he's sitting here, and you, you have to know that there's probably more than meets the eye in this story. Jesus is mocked, he's beaten, he has been, he has been beat within a, 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 an inch of his life, and they are mocking him with that statement above his head saying, this is the king of the Jews. And now we skip down to verse 39. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. They're quoting what he'd said earlier. He'd talked earlier about doing this very thing. 
And now they're saying, Jesus, you talked about it. You said you were going to do it. Now here's the moment. So what's happening? Why don't you do this thing that you said you'd do? Save yourself. They were saying, where is your God now? And they continued in verse 41. The same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. Now I want to pause there for a minute. I've read this story, I mean, probably thousands of times in my life. And really, this week, as I was studying for this, this word mock stood out to me so much. Jesus is standing there, has spoken all these things, said he was all these things, and here he sits, or here he hangs, actually, and he is being spat at, and he is being mocked for all the things that he had said and done all of his life. They mocked him, saying he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from that cross, and then we'll believe in him. And that's, again, that's, that's, that's mockingly. They weren't being serious. They're mocking him. And then the next four words really hit home when he said, they, 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 they mocked him like this. They said, verse 43, he trusts in God. Everyone this morning, say it with me. Say, say, he trusts in God. One, two, three. He trusts in God. You ever have that one happen to you before? You ever have someone accuse you of that in your life at some point? He trusts in God. How could you do that? How could you in all those times, all the situations, all that difficulty, all the garbage going on, how could you? How could you trust in God? I mean, here, in this moment right here, Jesus not only can, can understand what we're going through, he can relate it. He has been there. He trusts in God. You're crazy. Everything he said, did, and meant came down to this moment. He trusts in God. Verse 43, let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who crucified with him also heaped insults on him. It's, it's coming from all sides. And again, this is Jesus who, who, let's be honest, his crime is not this terrible, heinous thing. And he's dying just like one that did. Now, admittedly, if you and I were standing here or sitting there or, and watching this take place, admittedly, if you and I were watching this, we might have believed Jesus. We might have heard his words and said, yeah, that's great. I mean, he's, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the savior. He's whatever. We might have heard this stuff and believed it. But right now, seeing before, before us this, this bloodied, beaten, battered Lord, this bloodied, beaten, battered person, this, this form of humanness hanging on the cross, there might have been deep down on our side the same thought that said, he, he trusts in God. Really? Let's be honest this morning. Be hard-pressed not to think similar things. They beat him so severely and he didn't even look human. He, they, they took his clothes off and, and they, they, they mocked him and they, they beat him with a, a rod 39 times. And this rod would have had glass and rock and things attached to it that it would have ripped his skin and his body so completely and so utterly, uh, so utterly hugely much that his body would have been literally torn open. Like a hot knife through butter. It would have been, his, his organs would have been seen and exposed. Yeah, is that nasty? Absolutely. That's what would have happened in that situation. It would have been heinous. It would have been terrible to see what, what happened in this moment. They blindfolded him and they hit, they hit him and mocked him by saying, Prophesy, who hit you? 
You can just hear him saying, ha, 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 he said he's Lord. Oh, he said he's this big God or this big king or this big whatever. And here he sits. We're beating him. We're mocking him. We're punching him. And he can't prophesy who's hitting him. What a joke. What an absolute joke. This can't be the case. And then comes the crown of thorns. This was probably the biggest mockery of all because it was a crown for the king of Jews that was made of these long thorns that had been pressed down upon his, the crown of his head and it would have been driven deep down inside and the blood and the, 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 the bodily fluids would have run down his face. It would have been a terrible, terrible thing. He's the king of the Jews. Yeah, right. Shame on him. He trusts in God. Where is your God now? I want to focus on the word trust here for a moment. The, the word trust in Greek, you'll find that word, it's pytho. And that means to have full confidence. Trust in God, have full confidence in him still. Dude, you're, you're hanging on a cross. Jesus in this moment, and every believer at some point in our times, and many points after, have come to grips with the question, do we really trust God? Probably the most important, most telling, most big question that we have to, to, to deal with. It will determine how we make decisions. It will determine how we spend our, our time and our talents and our resources. Do we trust God? It determines everything. And from the beginning of time, every force in hell has been trying to undermine, undermine God and lives of humans with the same question. Remember back in, in, the, in the Old Testament and the beginning of the world when Adam and Eve are still living without sin and the snake comes in, the form of the, or the devil in the form, the snake comes in and says, did God really say that? Did God really tell you that you can't eat of that fruit? Are you really going to trust what God says? I've been through times of light before. I've been through times when it's easy, and those are, are, are easy times to serve God. But there are moments in life and moments in times when there are, are dark times. I remember when I was in college one time, I was uh, working at, at a, as a valet uh, in, this, in Minneapolis. I was going to North Central, and I lived in a, probably kind of a, a nasty neighborhood. Let's just be honest. I lived in 28th and Park. My mom hated it where I lived, I think, because... Uh, she was a little nervous for me, and I could understand. Uh, we had drive-by shootings. We had uh, gunshots, I heard. I mean, there was some pretty crazy stuff. And I was like, I grew up here, okay? So all my life, I wanted to live in the ghetto. Why would I want to do that? I don't know. But I just always did. And so I moved there, and it was tough. It was rough. I was coming home one night from work, and I had, you know, a couple hundred bucks in my pocket from tips. And, and, and I, it was late at night one night. It was about 3 in the morning. And my street was covered in the car. There was no spot to park in my street anywhere. So I had to park about four or five blocks down the road. And you ever get those moments where you're like, this is not going to be good? You ever had that kind of feeling like that? That's what I had. I was like, Some this is not going to be good. And so I parked on the street, and I started walking towards my apartments. And about four blocks down, I could see guys. I mean, it's kind of light because, you know, those lights are going and stuff. I could see guys way down there walking towards me, and I just didn't think, didn't think of it. And all of a sudden, it hit me. Something is not right here. 
And it got, it got closer and closer. I started getting nervous. My heart started pounding. And these guys were kind of getting closer. So I could kind of hear them. And they were laughing. And, they, and one guy pointed at me. And then they, they crossed the road to the other side. Okay, my heart went from being kind of pounding and pretty nervous to I am petrified at what's going to take place. Everything, the worst came out of me. I thought, man, this is going to be bad. I can hear it now. They're going to, you know, they start to be in the morning. It's going to say, you know, this, this guy, Bible college student is, you know, beaten to death in the alley in North Central or alley in Minneapolis or whatever. I was scared out of my mind. I continued to walk and continued to walk. And all of a sudden, God spoke to me and said, Steve, do you trust me right now? It's a hard moment. Because I got guys walking at me, and I'm nervous, and I'm scared. Do I, should I have been scared? I don't know. I felt it. Steve, do you trust me in this moment? I continued to walk and continued to go. And I said, God, I, I, I need you to help me. I need, you to, I need to feel your peace. I need to feel your, your presence right now. It was so cool because all of a sudden, God changed the place entirely. It was a dark moment. God changed it entirely. It was different, and I started walking differently, and that last block or so, before these guys got to me, I was feeling different about this, so I thought, man, if they take me down, whatever, I don't care, I'm going to heaven someday anyway, so woohoo, that'll be good, my mom will be sad, but I'll be happy, and so, you know, I'm walking to a different, 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 different place, and all of a sudden, they kind of come towards me, and it just didn't seem right. And this one guy came and bumped into me, hit me pretty hard right here, bumped into me, and another guy bumped into something next to me. And I'm not making that up. I looked over, and a guy bumped into a spot right about here and just kind of bumped off. He said, oh, sorry, my bad, and continued on and walking away. I believe with all my heart that in that moment, God was with me and sent an angel to protect me in that moment. God is with us in difficult times. Speaking of dark times, here's what the Bible says about this moment that happened on the cross, verses 45 through 46. It said, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all of the land. Now, midnight darkness at noon. I'm not a mathematician, but this doesn't add up. If I'm sitting here, and I'm watching this happen before my eyes, and all of a sudden, Jesus dies, and, or he's dying, and this is going on, and this is stuff happening, all these things. And all this thing is dark like the middle of the night. I'm thinking something's going on here, okay? I'm like, I don't know about this situation here. And it got dark, and it got difficult. And about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which the Bible translates and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's interesting in the Gospels, Jesus refers to God as his father, as his Abba, as his daddy. But at this moment, it's different. At this moment, it's different. Something happened. This is a dark moment. This is a sad time. Martin Luther said this moment years ago, he said, how can God forsake God? And the answer is, this is challenging stuff. How? Why? What? God, his son, forsaken? Question mark? Jesus had to know the answer. He had to know what was going on. So what would make Jesus ask this question of this, this situation? Why would he ask this? And the reality is, as, as human beings, we have to understand that we are not always going to understand. We only see a part of the story. 
Paul said this and clearly in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, when he compared the now to eternity, and he said this, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we'll see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, referring to heaven someday, I will then know everything completely just now as God knows me completely. Every situation, everything we see and such, we see these things in terms of incomplete information. We incomplete understanding. And this situation here we're referring to was no different. See, it's like this a little bit. I have a sign here this morning. It has a word on it. If you read this today, you might, most of us might read the word what? Nowhere, right? That's a, that's a pretty good word. We read this word nowhere. For a lot of us, we read this, we think that's it. And see, this is the thing, is that if you are not a believer, or if you are questioning God, your life right now, this might be how you see God in dark times. He's nowhere, Where is God now? These people before Jesus, these people watching this, looking out and said, where is your God now? He's nowhere. They're mocking him and they're saying, you're not this what you say that you are. You're not this God. You're not this this Savior. God is nowhere. And many of us have walked through times like that too. God, where are you? God, you're nowhere. But the same situation can be looked at in an entirely different way when we see the truth of the word. Because this can also say what? It can also say, now, here. Thank you, Robbie. He, he's, he knows this. He's pretty smart, man. Now, here. See, this is not just an issue, an ideal, that God is nowhere. God is now here. God is with us. God is there for us. God is on our side. God is now here. But sometimes, even though we don't understand, you know, sometimes in our lives we, we see a situation, we don't always understand what it is because we're just not there yet. A few weeks ago, Michaela, my, my, my five-year-old, was down in our basement spinning on a chair. And we used to do this a lot, and I don't know anymore, I'll explain to you why now, but we'd go down in the basement, we have, a, we have a concrete floor, and she'd spin, 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 I thought it was so much fun, and she'd laugh and giggle and have all kinds of fun. Until this fateful day, it was like a red-letter day in the royalty household, okay? Just, lots of fun things happened that day. And she's spinning and spinning and spinning. She falls off the chair, and she is absolutely hurt. And I knew in that moment, you know, you know sometimes when your kids are hurt, and then you know when they're really hurt. And she was really hurt. And immediately, my, my heart begins to race. I thought, what happened? What happened? So I bring her upstairs, and she is sobbing and crying and she is her eyes are looking back at her head and she is kind of starting to throw up and I was like this is not good <laughs> he brought her to the hospital and, and my, my wife went I had to stay home with Emmy and so they went to the hospital and she had a concussion and she's okay now everything's fine we've learned our lesson we do not spend our charity more in the basement so that's a good lesson to learn but the doctor said you can't do this anymore and you have to be careful with her head for about two months no rough housing no wrestling you know no nothing like that well here's the problem is that in our house and with Michaela and I she's my little wrestle buddy her and I wrestle all the time she runs into me she's climbing on me she all kinds of stuff we're buddies like this and so now I have to explain to her honey we can't do this right now 
And this last weekend, she wanted to jump on our bed. And I, I throw her sometimes in the air, and she flops down. My wife gets so nervous, and I think it's so much fun. And she does this, and, and, and she, I said, she said, Dad, I want to jump on your bed. And I said, no, you can't do that, honey. And she said, why, Daddy, why? I said, because your head. She said, my head feels fine, Daddy. I said, honey, the doctor said we have to wait until a few months, and it's not there yet. You just can't do it right now. See, she doesn't understand in the moment she doesn't get it right now that I'm protecting her and I'm caring for her and I'm, I'm pulling this thing back out of her fun because I want her to live and I want her to have a great life. That's the thing. And Isaiah 55, 8-9 says this, speaking of God, he says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I found in my life when it, my understanding of these things comes from my perspective on how I see God in my life. Do I trust him? Do I know him? Do I walk with him? Do I say, God, I trust you no matter what? If I, the way I see things in life greatly depends on that question in my life. And so this morning, we're not always going to get it. I want to share three things today to help us to remember, the, remember this and have a good perspective on this when we don't understand. The first one today is this. God is good. Mark 8, 10 and 18 says this. No one is good except God. God is good. I am not good always good. I'm sometimes good. And you know what? So are you. You are sometimes good. I, most of you guys are pretty good people. And I said most. Not, no, I was kidding. No, you, we, we are good people, right? We're sometimes good. We do good things sometimes. But see, our goodness is different from God's goodness. Where we are good sometimes, it's not our deep down character. God's character is good. God is good Period. God is good, period. The problem that we have sometimes in life is we tend to project our situation on God. We see people around us that sometimes let us down or situations that sometimes let us down. We project those things on God. We say, well, God, are you really good? Are you really who you say you are? He trusts God, but is God really trustable? God is Good. Now here's something you have to understand this morning is that, is that we tend to protect our, our situation on God, but God transcends our circumstances. The theology, the truth, the good news that's revealed on Jesus' last day is amazing. Jesus asked the question. God showed the answer. The light went dark for a moment because God had a plan. The plan of rescue. His plan was working. Jesus was laid in the tomb, and he was seemingly defeated. It was finished. It was all over. Satan had won. Things were great, but it didn't stay. He did what would normally be seen as impossible. He walked out. He showed himself to others. He beat death. He transcended experience. He transcended circumstance. God shows with fireworks that he is good. Number two today is this. God is for us. Romans 8.31 says this. If God is for us, then who can be against us? 
That's a well-known scripture. A lot of us know that scripture very clearly and very well. But I want to give another scripture today that sheds a little more light on the truth that God is for us in context of that. It's 1 Timothy 2.5. It says this, For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God to humanity, the man Christ Jesus. The word mediator there has another word, advocate. What is an advocate? Uh, I want to ex- explain to you with a story from my, when I was a kid. And I was first driving my, a car. I was out in Michigan with my, with my grandparents. And I loved my grandparents so much. And I was there spending time with them. And my grandpa in, in their small town was well-loved and well-liked and knew everybody. Those kind of people just know everybody. That's my, that was my grandpa. He was an awesome guy. And I was driving in, in their town one time. And I didn't have my seatbelt on. I was 18 years old and no seatbelt. And I got pulled over and I got a ticket for no seatbelt. Now, here, that's now illegal. Back then it wasn't. So I didn't really understand that. I said, how can you give me a ticket for no seatbelt? That's Michigan for you. And so I got a ticket for a seatbelt. It was like 100 bucks. I was 18 years old. I had no money. And so I went home and to my grandparents' house, told them about it. My grandpa kind of chuckled. He said, ha, ha, ha. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll talk to my friends tomorrow. I'll see what I can do about it. So the next day, he goes to wherever he went to. I, he's gone. I didn't see him. And he went someplace. And he came back home. He said, Steve, don't worry about your ticket. Because I, I took care of it. Uh, what I assume is he went and talked to the judge and convinced the judge that I'm some 18-year-old kid that doesn't have the money. I've learned my lesson. And he, my advocate, removed the ticket from my my possession. See, he did something out of a place of power and influence and authority that I could not do by myself. Think about that for a minute this morning. Because the longer we get away from that moment of salvation in our lives, the longer that that is in our past, the more difficult that concept that God is our advocate through Jesus is easily lost. Because all of a sudden, somehow, we as believers start to say, man, I'm a pretty good person. Man, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm okay. I can do some things. I'm pretty powerful. I can pray. I can do these things. I'm okay. We forget the fact that God is our advocate. That he did something that none of us could have ever done and lift off a heavy burden off of us that we just could not possibly do by ourselves our advocate this morning. God, the truth today is this. God is for us. Number three today is that God is with us. Hebrews 13, 5 is clear. It says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now I want to focus today on this word forsake here. Because in context of our message today, this word is powerful. The word forsake here is the word ekatalipo. I couldn't, that's a hard one to say. It's a Greek word, ekatalipo. Now, we don't normally, we don't, we don't live in Downton Abbey, so we don't normally know what, uh, we don't talk about forsake very much. But forsake has an equivalent word in our society that means a lot. It's the word abandon. This is the exact meaning that a forsake, it's abandoned, drop it like a bad habit, pretty much. I mean, God is saying here, never will I drop you. But there are things in our lives that need to be dropped, and we just can't seem to lift them off. 
things that are heavy, things that are difficult, sin, garbage, stuff, whatever else, they're heavy things, and we can't lift them off by ourselves. And here's what I'm, what I'm finding in my life. The better I know God, the more I walk with him, the less I ask the question, why, and the more I ask the question, what? Not, God, why are you doing this? But, Lord, what are you doing? What are you trying to teach me through this? Lord, what do I need to learn in this situation? That's a, a mark of maturity. Instead of asking why, we learn what. But we still have a problem, don't we? Back to our, our text in Matthew 27, we have some unfinished business. Why did God forsake Jesus? Because I just said that I'm a mark of maturity is asking God not why, but asking God what. But Jesus here asks why, doesn't he? So am I to say I'm more mature than Christ? Of course not. Be it far for me to say that. That's not the case here. See, I believe Jesus knew the answer, but if he didn't ask it, we wouldn't either. If he didn't ask the question, we wouldn't either. The answer can be found in 2 Corinthians 5.21, and it says this. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, that we could be made right with God through Christ. Why did God forsake Jesus? Why did this happen right here? Why did this moment happen? It's all right there in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Murder, adultery, lying, lust, cheating, hatred, every sin that's existed. All the sins that have, 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 have caused me to, be, to walk away and not know God have put a wall between me and God and you too. All of those things. The word says Jesus bore upon his heart and bore upon his life. Why? Because you and I could never do anything to pull them off or to pick them up and walk away from them and abandon them. I want to illustrate this, this, this idea this morning. I think of being pinned under a heavy weight. And I think of the, the movie Twister where Aunt Meg in that movie, if you watched it before, uh, later in the movie she, there's a, 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 a tornado that goes to her town and tears her house apart and she's under this, 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 this heavy weight. She's under all this, this house and these beams and all this stuff and she's there and she's still alive. She's hurting. She's got blood coming out and she cannot possibly help herself out of the situation. She needs someone to come in and help her. We know, of course, that this is the story, you know, the, the guys come in, they, they pick off that weight, and there's a TV that's hanging down there, and, you know, hanging by the cable and almost snaps and all that kind of thing. They, they pick this weight up and helps Aunt Meg out of the situation. There was nothing that she could do, nothing that she could do that could help her out with that situation. Seriously, there you are, collapsing under the building of iron and steel, Barely alive, holding on to life, trying hard with all of your life to lift it off, but you can't. That's living under the weight of a sinful life. Jesus' words from Matthew 27, God is demonstrating to us that he is ekatablipoing, or picking up and abandoning our sin in this moment, taking the heavy weight that we've never been able to do. He did it. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. We can be made right with God through Jesus Christ. Band, come up if you could this morning and begin to play for us. I could also have the, the uh, 
the elders and deacons come up front too. We're going to take communion here in a few moments. But I don't want the movement here to take away from this moment this morning. Jesus became sin so that we could be freed from sin. God with us, never will I forsake you so much that God would do what we cannot and would come in and forsake our sins and drop them for us. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning because I want this message, this scripture, this idea, this heart this morning to pierce you like it has me this week. God, we thank you. Bow your head this morning. Let's just close your eyes. Lord, let this idea this morning pierce our hearts. Let this pierce our hearts this morning, Jesus. Lord, may we not have a cavalier attitude and a cavalier mindset to what you have done for us, to what you did for us. Lord, the fact that without you, we are hopeless, Lord, but with you, we have all hope. It's because of this moment, Lord Jesus, you bore the weight of our sin. You bore the weight of our messing up, of our, our, the things we've done, the ways that we've so often in our lives come up short. You bore all of that. And for a moment, God, who is, loves us and who is in our courts and who cares about us drastically, forsook you, Jesus, so that he would not forsake us. Lord Jesus, this morning, let that pierce our hearts today, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Church, there's a, there's, there's a movement in our world nowadays, in the church world, to walk away from the idea that holiness is important. And I want to tell you this morning that if you read the scriptures, that is far from the truth. That God has called us to a life of holiness. He's called us to a life of being set apart, of being different. Why? Because sin is disgusting. Sin is destructive. Sin is not a good thing. It's not attractive. It's not kind of fun. It's not a little moment of indulgence. It destroys lives. Jesus came that we would not be under that weight anymore. Oh God, help me, help us, help all of us to not have a cavalier attitude towards that idea. So I brought all this message on us this morning for this very fact. And I want to close with this idea. I want to encourage you, this is a heavy message today. I want to encourage you this morning to examine your life. Examine your hearts. See, God's not, God's not called from you perfection, but he has called from you a heart of holiness and a heart of purity and a heart of passion for his presence and passion for him. See, I found in my personal life that when I come close to Jesus and I realize how terrible and how awful sin is and how terrible and how awful those things are, what's, what, what it's caused me to do is say, God, I'm... I'm sorry, but Lord, I'm thankful for what you did for me in the cross so many years ago. There are things that we can do. There are things that we walk away from as believers and things. We walk so far away from the, the times we were, we, we, were, we were sinners or the times we were whatever that we forget this basic fact that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins and that through him we could have peace with God forever.
As we, in a moment here, we're going to hand out the elements of communion. As we do this, a couple of things I want to make mention of today. If you are a believer, you're welcome to do this. No church background. Uh, I mean, no, no church affiliation is, you know, I don't care if you're a member of this church or some other church. We just ask that you are a believer this morning. And if that's you this morning, you are welcome to take communion with us, to, to us today. But this is what I want us to do. Communion is a symbol of Jesus' blood and his body given for us for what I just talked about this morning. That we could have peace with God. Is your attitude, like mine sometimes is, cavalier towards that? If it is this morning, I want to encourage you as these elements are passed out, to come before God today and say, Lord... Forgive me and challenge me and change me.